Good morning. My name's Ian, if we haven't met yet, and I'm one of the members of the Preaching Task Force team. We get to uh, fill in for Scott every so often, and uh, today is one of those days. We're beginning a new series that we're calling Encounters with, is it Christ or Jesus? I actually, Jesus, thank you, yeah. Uh, Encounters with Jesus. It's new, so I haven't got it, you know, nailed in yet. But uh, as we begin the series this morning, I want to let you know that um, we are going to be looking at various encounters that people have with Jesus through the Gospels, and we're going to be looking at different ways they encounter him and how maybe they missed the opportunity to encounter him or what that encounter uh, did in their life, and we're going to be asking God to show us how we can encounter him in a more real way. And so I'm really looking forward to this series. Um, This story, uh, I I chose to preach on this story um, before I knew how relevant it would be to me. In the last five weeks or so, I've been suffering from some really bad back pain. I have uh, a messed up disc and a, a lateral shift in my spinal column, and Uh, It slipped out about five weeks ago, and I've been in a lot of pain, and I've been uh, humbled a bit by having to ask various family members to help me put on my shoes or help me get out of the car, and uh, I've also been humbled by the number of people that have been coming up to me and praying and saying, hey, I've been praying for you. I heard your back's messed up. I just want you to know I've been praying for you, and my goodness, more and more people are coming up and telling me that, and it's humbling. It's humbling to be dependent on someone for things that I tend to take for granted until something like this happens. And so I'm in no way saying that I am in the same situation as the guy on the video there, uh, and Lord willing, I won't be for a while. But even the little taste of it that I've had has really made me think, wow, what it would have been like to be that guy, completely dependent on people for everything. They didn't have wheelchairs. They didn't have... Uh, you know, powered anything. I mean, if if you wanted to go somewhere, you had to ask someone, hey, could you carry me there if you were paralyzed like that guy was? It's it's amazing to think of um, how humbling and how how impactful that would have been for that guy. And then to encounter Jesus and have your life changed in such a real way, uh, that's exciting. And my hope as we look at the scripture this morning is that we all will uh, have our lives changed in some way as as we encounter Christ. So that story was from the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, There's a parallel story in the Gospel of Mark. And uh, that one, by the way, in case you're not familiar with the visual Bible, it is a series where they've gone through and taken, the the only words they speak are the, the text from the scripture. And so if you saw on the bottom right corner, it was showing you the chapter and verse of that. And uh, now the acting and the, you know, what's going on behind the scenes, that's kind of a visual interpretation of the text. So uh, I I just thought that was a really cool uh, way of illustrating the story that we read there, or that we could have read. We are going to read the story in the Gospel of Mark. So open your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark and... Some people say this is a different time that Jesus healed a paralytic, and some people say it's the same time, just with a different perspective. And either way, uh, trying to decide that isn't really the big deal, but it does give us a different perspective on on the story. So the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, and beginning in verse 1. 
By the way, if you don't have a Bible, would welcome you to take one from the, the pew pocket in front of you. Uh, if you don't have one to take home with you, then you can take that one. It's not stealing because we'll give it to you for free because we want you to have access to God's word there. So um, the Gospel of Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. When he entered Capernaum again after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many people gathered there that uh, so many people gathered together that there was no more room, not even in the doorway. And he was speaking the message to them. Then they came to bring him a paralytic carried by four men. Since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above where he was. And when they had broken through, they lowered the stretcher on which the paralytic was lying. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this man speak? Well, that's a little different version than what I'm used to. I apologize. Uh, Why doth this man thus speak? He he blasphemeth. (laughs) Who can forgive sins but one who would be God? Uh, And straightway Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, said unto them, Why reason you these things in your hearts? (laughs) Which is easier to say to the sick of the palsy, uh, thy sins are forgiven, or to say, arise, take up your bed, and walk. Okay, so I apologize for the, the rough reading there. That's, uh, that's my fault for not getting that in there until the last minute, and thank you, Rich, for getting that in there for me at the last minute. I appreciate that. Um, so that's the, the story in, in the Gospel of Mark. Like I said, a little different story. Uh, in this one, they lowered him through the roof. And in Matthew, it says they, they brought him on a pallet. Now, it could be that they lowered him on a pallet through the roof, and Matthew just didn't tell that part of the story. Um, Mark tells us there were four of them. Matthew doesn't tell us how many of them there were. So it could be same or different, you know. Um, but the point is, this guy was paralyzed. He had some friends who brought him to Jesus, and Jesus healed him. But notice Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. And that was kind of what set off the whole deal there. And so that's why I entitled this story, The Forgiving of the Paralytic, not The Healing of the Paralytic. Because I'm convinced that the main point of this story is the forgiveness aspect, not necessarily the healing. I mean, the healing was incidental. Another one of the differences that you'll see between those two accounts, lowering through the roof. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with... um, Middle Eastern architecture from the time of Christ. But here's a quick little synopsis of it. This is a a picture of some remnants from around that time. And you'll notice they have flat roofs, and those roofs would be covered over with timbers, and then some thatch, and then some sod, and it was kind of a place where they could go hang out. It was like like a deck on top of your house. And, And so when it says that they lowered him through the roof, they went up there and they started dismantling all of that turf and opened up a place above Jesus and uh, lowered the pallet down through that hole. So in that story in Mark, you could, you could imagine the place is really packed. It's hot. It's humid. It's, you know, it would smell of a locker room, you know. And, and then the, these people break through the roof and lower this guy. Now, there would be dirt and debris falling all over. And now, uh, 
Sometimes when I'm preaching, I get distracted by a few things. That's never been one of them. <laughs> but I just wonder what was going on in Jesus' mind as he was sitting there preaching or standing there preaching, and all of a sudden, the roof begins to rain dirt down. And it said that they did it above where he was, so it would have been you know, pretty close to where he was. So that would have been interesting. So they lowered him down, and it says that he recognized their faith. Now, at this point, I want to ask you, as we move through this story, I want to ask you to, to consider the three different categories of characters that we're going to be looking at. There's, there's the friends, and the friends were persistent and creative in bringing their friend to Jesus. They were persistent and creative. I mean, they, they could have said, wow. I'm sorry, buddy, but the house is packed. There's no way we're going to get in there. Let's just try again some other time. But they didn't. They were persistent. They said, well, if there is a way, we will find it. We're committed to you, our paralytic friend. We're going to do whatever we can. They were persistent and creative in bringing their friends to Jesus. And like I said earlier, Jesus, it says that he saw their faith. Now, faith is belief in action. I mean, how can you see faith? Well, Jesus saw their faith demonstrated by their actions. And so if someone were to look at me and say, wow, Ian, I see your faith in God. Like, well, okay. It's not like you have super special um, x-ray spiritual vision you know, and you can see what I can't. No, you, you see it by what I do. It's, it's belief in action. Take a look at James chapter 2, verse 18. James says, someone will say, you have faith and I have works, you know, good deeds. And then James says, well, show me your faith apart from your works. By the way, you can't. That's kind of what James is implying there. And he says, and I will show you my faith by my works. So, our good deeds are the evidence of the faith. Now, our good deeds do not produce faith. They do not achieve salvation. They prove what is already there. And so these friends had faith, and that faith compelled them to action with their friend. So the paralytic had some friends who brought him to Jesus. Those friends incidentally encountered Jesus, and we'll look more at that in a moment. So the second character that I would want you to look at would be the paralytic himself. And as I mentioned with my own situation, uh, he is dependent on the love of others. Now, I'm experiencing that in a very little way. And um, the last couple of days, I've actually been able to put my shoes on by myself. It's a little complicated, but I can do it. So I'm, I'm getting better, and I'm glad for that. But <laughs> there was a time a few days ago when um, Gavin's been driving me, our, our oldest son. He's been driving around, and I, I get in the passenger seat and lay it down all the way, you know, because sitting hurts my back, but laying is a little better. So, so I'm laying there, and then uh, I'm thinking, okay, I, I need to get up and get out of the car. Well, in one of our cars, we have the little handle, you know, the oh, yikes handle or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> well, he's, he's a 16-year-old driving, so it's, you know. But, no, actually, he's a really good driver, better than me. Okay, so 
I'm reclined back and I realize the car doesn't have the handle. We were in the other car. And I felt stuck. Like, because to try to move and lift myself up, and, and I was squirming, and I was trying to figure out a way to, to grab something or anything to try to get myself into the upright position, and I couldn't. And I got really frustrated. And it, it was the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back, right? I mean, I've been struggling with this for, for a good few weeks or more, and then I'm just like, oh. And Gavin, uh, bless him, he looks over at me, and he, he says, do you need some help, Dad? And I'm like, Yeah. So he, you know, he's sitting over here, I'm over here. He sticks his arm out like this, and then I, I grabbed his hand, and then and it gave me something to just get myself upright with. He just, he gave me a hand in a very literal way. You know, it might not seem like anything, but boy, the frustration that I was feeling with that situation, just him lovingly, because I didn't want to ask. I mean, my goodness, I've been asking him to put my shoes on and, you know, all the, like, can't I even get out of the car by myself? Well, no, not right now. So he was there to help me. He was, um, he was a friend and, and I was dependent on him. And so this paralytic, I, like I said, I experienced just a little taste of, of what it would have been like for him. Uh, not able to get his own food, not able to care for himself in the ways that we take for granted so often. So in his encounter of Jesus, what strikes me as interesting is that Jesus seems to ignore the fact that the man is paralyzed. And Jesus goes straight to the bigger need that this guy had, which was the forgiveness of sins. So in, in the text... Jesus says, you know, your sins are forgiven. Now, if I'm the guy that's on the mat, or maybe I'm the guy just, you know, with the hurt back, and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Like, awesome. Thank you. How about my back? <laughs> right? <laughs> or you're, you're the paralytic, and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Oh, that's awesome. I'm really glad for that. How about helping me walk? <laughs> you know, I mean, so he, Jesus went straight to the source. Now, when I say straight to the source, I want to be very careful in saying, I do not believe that every physical infirmity that we have is directly caused by some secret sin in our life or something. But I do believe that human suffering is a result of the fall. And as we, as humans, as we choose to live life outside of God's best for us, and we seek to uh, improve our life by our own means, not depending on God, not following his plan, but choosing our own way, we experience human suffering, either, either by someone else or by ourselves. But um, suffering is not part of God's original plan. We introduce that into the mix. And so in, in a sense, Jesus goes to the root of the issue, to the, to the source. And, and again, I'm not saying that Jesus, um, that, that this paralytic had some big sin that caused him to be sick, but I do know that he was descended from Adam who rebelled against God and he inherited human brokenness and we all have. And so Jesus goes to the bigger need that we all have, which is to be forgiven of our sins. So the paralytic He's got an opportunity to encounter Christ. His friends lower him down on this, on this mat. He's 
right on the ground, maybe in front of Jesus or over there a little bit. Maybe the friend's looking up at him. Awkward. Everybody watched me. Can you imagine a house full of people packed in super tight and you're this paralyzed guy getting lowered down in front of Jesus, in front of everyone? I get embarrassed just pulling into the parking lot and being all reclined. (laughs) Imagine this guy getting lowered down in front of everyone. Wow, that's... I can only imagine what that would be like. And so there he is on the floor, and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees replied with only, I'm sorry, the scribes replied with, hey, that's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. They were distracted by the truth. They were distracted by knowing the truth. Because that's true. Only God can forgive sins. If uh, I, I was joking around with, with Scott and some of the other guys. I, I said it would be like if, if someone went up to, to Scott and, and punched him in the face. And I go up to that guy and I say, I forgive you. Scott might be going, what, what, what do you mean? Because you know what? It's not mine to forgive. It would be Scott's. We have sinned against God. We have stepped outside of God's best for us. We have gone our own way. Only God can forgive that which is done against him. And he can do that through the sacrifice of Christ. And we'll talk about that more in a minute. But I want to point out that these scribes, they knew the truth. They knew that only God can forgive sins. And so here's this paralytic, lowered down in front of everyone, dependent for everything. He's looking up at Jesus, and the creator, God of the universe, incarnate, Jesus Christ in the flesh, looks at him and says, basically, I forgive you for everything you've done against me. That God would look a sinner in the eye and say, I forgive you. I never really comprehended the, um, the realness of that in this story, that the very God who was sinned against is the God who was forgiving the sinner. That was powerful when I realized that. And yeah, only God can forgive sins. Because he's ultimately the one that we've sinned against. Now, in sinning against him, I may also sin against other people. The person punching Scott in the face has sinned against God and Scott. So then that person needs to be forgiven from God and Scott. And when we forgive someone in the human realm, we are basically saying, I give up my right to punish you for what you did against me. I no longer am going to be holding that against you. Which is a powerful thing to release someone from that. And in in a real sense, that's what God does for us as well. He says, I give up my right to punish you for going outside of my best for you. 
And so this, this paralytic was forgiven of his sins. The scribes were distracted by the truth. See, they missed the fact of who Jesus really was. They knew the truth. Only God can forgive sins. But if they knew the whole truth, then they wouldn't have said what they said because Jesus is God. And so Jesus might look at them and say, "Um, yeah, duh. (laughs) I don't think he really did, but, but he could have because they're exactly right. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus says, okay, I forgive you because I'm God. I can do that. They missed the fact of who Jesus was. And here I want to point out that something that God's been teaching me is that in, I, I know in my mind, but I experience in my heart. Okay, so I can cram my head full of all sorts of information and theological truth and data about people or whatever, but I, to experience that needs to be at the heart level. I could, I could study my wife to the nth degree. I could stalk her on Facebook. I could, I could read through her high school yearbook. I could, you know, sneak in and read her journal if I wanted to, if she has one. You know, I could, I could totally study everything about her, and I could know about her in my head. But unless I experience her in my heart, we do not have a real relationship huge difference. And I'll tell you, I spent the majority of my Christian life knowing about God, but not really experiencing him in my heart. There was some blockage there in that, what do they say, 12 inches, you know? I I didn't experience him in my heart as much as I could have. So they missed the fact of who Jesus was. They did not experience him in their hearts. They, they knew it in their mind. And then Jesus says, okay, so which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise up, take your pallet, and walk? And in, as I was thinking about this, I'm like, well, I don't know. Which one is easier? Because uh, some might say, well, you know, I, I can say your sins are forgiven, and that's that's intangible. That's not in the physical realm. So if I say, hey, your sins are forgiven, Awesome, okay, thanks. There's no way to prove or disprove that. So in one sense, that might be easier to say. But in another way, only God can forgive sins. I can't. But God has given people the ability to, uh, to heal. You know, we saw that in the time of Christ. And so it might be easier to say, take your pallet and walk, rather than saying, I forgive your sins. So a case could be made either way. But that's not the point. The, the point is what Jesus says after the fact, which is that the, um, uh, the miracle of healing brought about the, uh, the reality of the forgiveness. Uh, Jesus' authority to forgive sins was demonstrated by that miracle. He said, so that you may know that I have authority to forgive sins, take up your pallet and walk. 
And all through the Gospels, when we see miracles happen, and even in the book of Acts, when we see uh, Peter and John working miracles, the, the miracles serve multiple purposes. One is, of course, the immediate blessing that the recipient of the miracle has. Another purpose is that it, uh, it emphasizes the authority of the person and the message that they have. And so here Jesus says, this miracle is evidence that I have the authority that I'm claiming to have. And so when John and Peter and the like, when they do miracles, they don't do it in their own name. They do the miracles in the name of Jesus because that's where the authority is. It's in Jesus. We need to understand the forgiveness that this paralytic received was just as sure as the healing that he received. And so Jesus did something in the physical to demonstrate what happened in the spiritual. And both of them are are very real. So three different characters. We've got the friends. We've got the paralytic. And we've got the, the scribes. I would ask you to take a moment and think, which one of them are you most like? Are you like the friend who's committed to bringing people to Jesus in persistent and creative ways? If so, then I would warn you to not become more interested in humanitarian work than in Jesus. Those friends, they didn't go there to encounter Jesus. They went there so that their friend could get some healing. And that's, that's good. Their, their heart towards that person is good. Their desire to see that person um, improve his ability to enjoy life and take care of himself, that's good. Humanitarian effort, that's good. We, we're commanded to, you know, James says this is true and undefiled religion, to care for the widows and the orphans. It is good that we would do that. But boy, I don't want to get so caught up in that that I miss the real opportunity to encounter Jesus. See, they wanted the healing for the friend. They didn't want Jesus directly for themselves. They weren't seeking that encounter with him. Maybe in this story you find yourself identifying with the paralytic. Oh, thank you. No, yeah, actually, could you go back to that? Thank you. Um, so it, if, if you identify with the friend in this story, ask God for his heart in your service to others. And something really cool will happen. Those people that you're helping will encounter Jesus through you as he gives you his heart for them. And you will encounter Jesus if you seek him first and see the service to others as a sort of secondary benefit. But in serving others, we can encounter Jesus in a real way. But we need to make that our our main objective. So maybe you identify with the paralytic who needed to be healed of his sin problem. 
but he wasn't looking at the sin problem. He was looking at the physical need. He was uh, distracted from encountering Jesus because of his physical need. I can identify with that. (laughs) These last five weeks or so, I've been learning that uh, the whole idea of give thanks in all things, rejoice always. You know, that's easier for me to do when life is good. And it's not that life isn't good right now, but my back is annoying me. (laughs) I find, and I'm sure my family would agree, that I'm a little irritable lately. Am I going to let my physical need rob me of my joy? Boy, see, I need to come to Jesus without an agenda. If I come to Jesus and I say, sure, Jesus, I, I'm, I want to encounter you in so much as you will heal my back. That's pretty limiting. I want to encounter Jesus no matter what. So I want to let him deal with the root problem in his way. Maybe he's using this to teach me something, to, uh, to help me truly give thanks in all things, to rejoice always. But I need to learn to not come to Jesus with an agenda, but I want to let his agenda be what dictates that encounter that I have with him. The scribes, we said earlier that they were blinded by knowing the truth or distracted by knowing the truth. So their obstacle in their ability to encounter Jesus was the fact that they saw truth as an end rather than a means to an end. I tell you, I love this book. I really do. This actual book uh, was bought for me by my neighbor when I was 12 years old when I gave my life to Christ. It's been rebound several times, and I've had to um, buy other Bibles and have them take pages and, and stick them in here because... They tore, you know. Anyway, I I love this book. I read it a lot. And I spent a lot of my adult Christian life and even my young man Christian life reading this book to learn about God. I wanted to be able to have um, arguments with people about theology. I wanted to be able to remember scripture so I could pull it out and throw it at them at the you know, drop of a hat and say, oh, you're wrong because in this passage it says this. And oh, you know, and I, I wanted to be able to, because we're, we're told to be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within. And we're, you know, all these kind of ideas. And so I was, you know, I, I was focused in my mind. I, I wanted to learn this book. And I began to see the Bible as an end unto itself. And then God began to challenge me, saying, what if it's actually a means to an end? And so in, in reading this book, I can encounter Jesus. N- not only up here, but I can experience him in my heart. So I need to not obsess about what I know, but rather I need to allow what I know to enhance my experience of the one that I know. You know? (laughs) I hope that you can see yourself 
in either one of these characters. I don't know about you, but I see a little bit of myself in each one of them. I, I see how I can get distracted uh, by, by doing good works, and I forget that it should be all about experiencing Jesus. I get distracted by my physical need rather than loving the one who wants to meet that need. Or I get distracted by wanting to learn rather than wanting to experience God. Um, some of you may know, um, my wife and I, uh, facilitated a workshop that was in this room a couple of weeks ago. That's why we had church down there on Sunday. And that, that workshop is called Heart Change. And um, that workshop was a huge um, factor in helping me to be able to experience God in my heart, not just know of Him in my head. And... Um, Mac and I have become very passionate about that workshop and the, the way that it can free people to be able to, uh, to get out of their head and into their heart and encounter God in a way that they never would have been able to otherwise. And uh, it's not that heart change is, is a, a magic secret bullet that's the cure to all the world's problems, but it is really cool. <laughs> and, um, and I... I checked with um, Scott to make sure it would be okay if I gave it a plug, and he said go for it. So on, on the bottom of your bulletin, there's a, a website. It's heartchange.org. Um, there will be another workshop in Vancouver that we're going to do in the uh, like third week of June, I think. And if any of this is, is ringing true to you about the need to experience God in your heart rather than know of him in your mind— then I would ask you to pray about whether or not God wants you to, to go to that workshop. It's four days long, Thursday through Sunday, uh, long days. I tell people it's the uh, best, hardest thing that you'll do for yourself. And um, I have seen that to be true in my own life. Uh, my, my capacity to love Jesus um, uninhibited from all the junk of the past, um, it's just incredible how God used that in, in my life. And um, and I want to see that in other people's lives. And, and I hope that all of us can learn from the characters in this story. Um, I hope that all of us can overcome whatever that obstacle is that would keep us from being able to encounter Jesus in a real way. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Um, thank you for sending your son to make it possible for our sins to be forgiven. Thank you for the sacrifice that he paid, dying the death that I should have died, taking the punishment for my sin, and defeating death by raising again so that I could have new life in you. God, thank you so much for that. And Father, I ask that uh, for every one of us, in this room this morning, that you would enable us to encounter you more fully, that uh, whatever it is that would be blocking our ability to experience you in our hearts, uh, those things that might be distracting us, God, I just pray that you would, you would bring those up uh, and allow us to, uh, to yield it to you and let you do what, with it what you want, God. 
because we want more of you. In Jesus' name, amen.